Hello, I'm Selena, and this is the Bellingham Veg Fest Show, where every month we get the opportunity to discuss all things vegan. This month, we asked our friend Michelle Smith from Sensibly Sprouted to join us. You may remember Michelle from previous shows. Sensibly Sprouted is a local plant-based nutrition practice with a team of experts. They have a location here in Bellingham. Meredith and Carly joined Michelle, and we asked them your questions, like, where do you get your protein, and is it harmful to consume too much soy? Their answers just might surprise you. Enjoy. Welcome to the Bellingham Veg Fest Show. This is Selena, and I'm here with our friend Steph. Hi, Steph. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So this is actually Steph's idea. We we did this a couple years ago, and Steph joined. She said, you know, I think we should do a show about plant-based nutrition because there's so many things out there that are not true and you know there's just, let's just clear the air and um, I said well I know the perfect person um to help us with this and so we invited our good friend of the show Michelle Smith from Sensibly Sprouted welcome Michelle thank you so much for thinking of us and for inviting us back Selena of course we wouldn't think of anybody else <laughs> we always have so much fun with you <laughs> so much it's been a while since we've seen you or talked to you. What, what's been going on? So, yeah, so much has been going on. Um, a lot of good and, of course, you know, dealing with COVID, but focusing on the positive, we've been growing. Uh, we're up to uh, seven dietitians now at our Bellingham location. We're in oh. a new office right on the water and enjoying the view and the ample parking, I think. <laughs> and we wow. are still going strong in Smoky Point. And we are currently uh, looking for our third practice location. So we've been really, really fortunate with all of the growth that we've been experiencing and really getting to serve our communities here in Bellingham, as well as Arlington Smoky Point area. Wow. Wow. So I'm overwhelmed because I think when we first met you, Michelle, it was just you. It was me in a closet by myself. Yes, I had my little <laughs> office. And, you know, we've just been growing and adding to the team. And it's been really amazing finding dietitians that have that same passion and, you know, just calling to work with our, our community one-on-one and support them in their health and wellness goals. And I have to say, our team is amazing. I might be biased, but we are really lucky to have the dietitians that we have, especially the two that are joining me today, Selena. Perfect. Well, tell, introduce us. First up, I'll throw Meredith into the mix. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, my name is Meredith, and I just started here at Sensibly Sprouted last year. Super excited to be here. I am really passionate about plant-based nutrition. I have been plant-based for getting on to seven years now, I think. Yes. And what truly inspired me was attending a course that was hosted by someone who was trained in the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Um, yeah, the 21 day kickstart. And oh my gosh, it just blew my mind. Um, we were sampling all kinds of amazing recipes. And I was like, I can do this. because I love cooking. And so I jumped on board and haven't turned back. It's been an amazing journey. Um, I've, uh, dietitian, becoming a dietitian is kind of a second, uh, sort of career for me. I started out in a totally different realm, social service oriented, but I noticed in a lot of my work that nutrition kept coming up and I wanted to be able to provide more information. Um, but I, you know, I didn't have the knowledge base for it. So that's why I decided, Hey, 
you know, how can I do this? Go back to school, got my master's degree, and the rest is history. Wow, that's so cool. Actually, Meredith, uh, PCRM is what inspired this kind of mailbag of questions. They do they do a podcast as well, and yes. they just ask questions. Uh, usually, Neil, Dr. Neil, but who's like a hero to me. But yeah, so that's kind of what inspired this. So it's cool that you brought that up. Oh, yeah. It totally reminded me of that podcast. I love that one. Yeah. <laughs> and then we have Carly. Hi, Carly. Hi. Um, I'm Carly, and I'm also one of the dietitians here at Sensibly Sprouted. And I also am so passionate about plant-based nutrition. And I've been plant-based on and off throughout my life at different points. Um, and I love working with plant-based patients and talking about plant-based nutrition and kind of nerding out on plant-based research. Kind of similar to Meredith, I got into it a little bit later. I um, My background was in music. Um, I studied that in my undergrad, undergrad and then just kind of randomly started working with these kids doing some gardening and cooking. And I loved getting kids excited about plants and plant-based nutrition and cooking and all of that. Um, and that kind of took me here. I got my master's in nutrition. And now I love working with patients, getting them started on their plant-based journey or people who have been plant-based for years. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here and to get to talk a little bit about plant-based nutrition today. Awesome. Yeah, I can. I'm not a dietitian. I can talk about this all day too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <me> too. <laughs> <laughs> just at these questions might at times seem random. Um, I was trying to put them in order, but then I kind of gave up on that because I was like, oh, they're kind of all, um, all over the place. But they're great because um, our followers kind of come from all over the place where we have followers that have been vegan for 20, you know, 30 years, and then some that are not yet vegan and very curious and some are nervous about making sure that they have all the nutrients and all of that. And then some of the questions are from uh, people who want to know what to tell their friends and family when they get challenged. <laughs> I don't know how that is. <laughs> so, so let's get into it. I'm, I'm going to ask the first question. Someone wanted to know, what are signs that you are not getting the balanced nutri- nutrients? So what are some of the signs? Great question. So it is very possible to get all the nutrients you need on a plant-based diet. It just takes a little bit of planning and awareness. The signs of a nutrient imbalance vary depending on the nutrient and on the person, but there are some kind of common signs. So that could include being more tired than usual or feeling really weak. It could be having some unexplained weight changes, whether you're gaining weight or losing weight, and there isn't a good explanation for that that you can find. could also be having some mood changes, so feeling more depressed or down suddenly um, without other explanations for that. So there are also many, many other causes for these types of symptoms. So it could be related to diet, but it also, of course, could be related to a lot of other things. When we're thinking about a plant-based diet, there are a few nutrients that come to mind as big focuses. One of them is B12. So that is found in animal foods. Um, and 
thinking about a plant-based diet, we want to be aware of some of those symptoms that could show up if we're not getting enough B12. That could be feeling more fatigue, weakness, uh, maybe some lightheadedness or numbness and tingling in our fingers or toes. Could also have some of those mood changes, like I mentioned. But that is good to be aware of. If those start showing up, definitely checking with your doctor, getting those labs tested. Um, Another vegan nutrient to kind of be aware of is iodine. And if we're not getting enough iodine in our diet, that can lead to low thyroid hormones or hypothyroidism. People sometimes might notice their thyroid gland and their neck getting bigger or getting a goiter. They might have some fatigue or they might gain some weight. Again, if those start showing up, checking with your doctor, you know, making sure you're getting enough of those nutrients. Like I said, um, there are lots of other causes for these types of things. So it's not always nutrient related. Um, but sometimes symptoms are obvious. Sometimes they're a little bit less obvious and some nutrients, it takes longer for them to develop. So it's important to check in with your doctor, get those labs checked um, periodically just to make sure that we are getting all of those nutrients we need. Thank you, Carly. Uh, so I'll have the do the next one. Um, it's kind of a, a two-part one. Um, how much protein is enough? And can you give some examples of like, basically like what that much protein would look like? Yes, definitely, Steph. Um, isn't that the number one question when you tell people you're going plant-based? Where mm-hmm. are you going to get your protein? Um, so many people equate protein with meat and eggs, dairy products, animal products in general. Um But And so it's a common misconception that plant-based proteins are inferior in some way to those animal-based proteins, right? But research has shown that individuals following a well-balanced plant-based diet typically don't have a problem meeting those uh, protein requirements as long as you're getting adequate energy, right, a variety of foods. So um, to begin, we know that proteins are made up of uh, chains of amino acids, right? You probably have heard that term amino acids being thrown around. So some food, some of those amino acids are made by the body um, and others aren't. So those that are not produced by the body, we call essential amino acids. And there are nine of those, right? So all foods that come from plants contain at least some of every single essential amino acid, right? But in general, there are certain plant foods that are going to be higher in some of those essential amino acids and some that are going to be lower. So um we can think about, well, if we think grains, for example, those are going to tend to be lower in an amino acid called lysine, right? Where um, legumes, on the other hand, are going to be lower in an amino acid called methionine. And between the two of them, grains are going to be higher in methionine, whereas legumes are going to be higher in lysine. So together, they're going to kind of make up for each other. Does that make sense? So a common kind of concept that was made popular back in around the 70s was that we needed to have what's called complementary plant-based protein. So you may recall hearing you need to have beans and you need to have rice at the same meal in order to ensure that you're getting enough protein. Well, the newer research has shown that our liver is actually storing some of those amino acids throughout the course of an entire day to kind of help ensure that we're getting adequate nitrogen retention and just um, proper utilization, right? So now the consensus is, 
as long as we're consuming a variety of those plant-based protein, plant-based foods, especially ones that are high in protein throughout the entire day, we're going to get the sufficient amount of protein that we need, right? So we don't necessarily need to pair those items at an, an individual meal. It doesn't hurt because how could you not love having uh, brown rice with beans loaded with some broccoli and some cabbage and a nice vegan cheese sauce, which we're going to touch on a little bit later, right? So really focusing on that variety. Yum. Yeah, I know. I'm hungry already. <laughs> so, um, you know, focusing on strong plant-based proteins like tofu, tempeh, soy-based products in general, lentils, because those are going to be higher in that amino acid lysine, right? Um, in terms of what it's going to look like for an entire day. So there's an established recommended amount of protein um, that has been set. And that is based on kilograms of body weight. So in general, uh, 0.8 grams per kilogram is what is typically recommended. For people following a plant-based diet, I'll tend to recommend a little bit higher, right? Uh, you're going to reach that anyway, as long as, again, you're consuming a great balance of foods throughout the day. So anywhere from 0.9 to 1, maybe up to 1.1 grams per kilogram per day. So what does that even mean, right? So if we're talking 0.9 grams per kilogram in a day, and you've got someone that weighs, let's say, like 135 pounds, that's going to get mean about 55 grams of protein for that day. So what does 55 grams of protein look like, right? It means maybe a breakfast that consists of a tofu scramble with a cup of tofu and a slice of whole wheat bread. For a snack, maybe a quarter cup of almonds and a medium-sized orange. For lunch, a great hearty chili that you make with um, about half a cup of beans, maybe more, right? Um, including kidney beans, black beans, that sort of thing. Afternoon snack with apple and peanut butter, and then dinner, a nice bulky whole grain bowl with edamame and leafy greens and veggies. Right there, you've already exceeded that recommended amount, and you're good to go. So yeah, so it sounds like as long as you're getting enough calories from whole food, you know, whole plant-based foods, you're going to get you're going to get the protein. You don't have to don't have to count. You don't have to worry about counting the protein. <laughs> exactly. Some people like to hear that number, and they like to maybe assess for a day or two, maybe do a bit of the counting to get that reassurance. But then it's like after that, they kind of get to eyeball like what that quantity looks like, and they're feeling they can they can do well from that point on. Yes. Have you? I'm kind of throwing I'm throwing this question in. Just have you ever met somebody that was protein deficient? Um, in terms of protein deficiency, that tends to be more with individuals who are having trouble consuming adequate amounts of calories. Calories, okay. Food, yeah, that's typically where I have seen it. Yes, got it. Okay, thank you so much. And you're you're you've been so thorough with your questions that you've you've already answered a few that we're going to ask in the future, and so we're going to kind of juggle around, um, which is amazing. Very cool. So what about calcium? Do vegans and um, people who are plant-based need to take a calcium supplement? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So with calcium, I always emphasize try to get it from food first, right? So again, we have those parameters, those numbers to serve as a guide. And that for calcium is around 1,000 milligrams for a day for men and women that are between 19 and 50. And that intake uh, increases just slightly um, for women um, who are older than that age range, right? So, um, but there are a lot of plant-based foods that are high in calcium, right? Beyond what we would typically think of in the animal-based 
world, like dairy products as one primary example, right? So what would like a thousand or 1200 milligrams of calcium look like, right? How do we break it down so it makes sense in our heads? If we are thinking about like a fortified plant-based milk, right? That typically has around 300 milligrams of calcium. So right there in a cup of milk like that, you're gonna get a good source. Maybe later on in the day, you have a nice, with your hearty bowl or in your chili, you're gonna throw in some kale or some mustard greens or some turnip greens, right? You're gonna get a nice amount from that, around 200 milligrams per cup there. Blackstrap molasses is also a really great example of a place where you can get some calcium, which is kind of random. We don't necessarily think of that, so that's something that comes to mind, right? You're gonna get a decent amount in just a tablespoon. So toss that on your oatmeal, for example, on your whole wheat pancakes. Um, one thing to really think about in terms of calcium from plant-based foods is oxalates. So oxalates are compounds that are found in some of those leafy green veggies. Um, and those can inhibit the absorption of calcium. So some of those examples would be beet greens and Swiss chard, rhubarb, and spinach. So those are gonna be high in calcium, but also high in those compounds called oxalates, right? So it's not to say don't include those because they contain a variety of beneficial vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients, right? But if we really wanna stress the calcium, let's throw in some of those other examples like broccoli and Brussels sprouts and romaine lettuce and collard greens as well to really promote that calcium absorption. Another key thing with calcium is vitamin D, right? How can we support that absorption of calcium, making sure that we're getting adequate vitamin D, whether during the summer months through sun, um, here in the Pacific Northwest this time of year, um, sun is um, difficult to find, <laughs> right? So a supplement in that case would be uh, recommended, right? Exercise too, to help build those strong bones. So there are other factors to consider when you're thinking about bone health beyond just calcium. So, so you would recommend vitamin D supplement for anybody in the Pacific Northwest, not necessarily someone, just plant-based people. It's typically a supplement that I would recommend. I also recommend going to your doctor and having your vitamin D levels checked because that will serve as a good guide. You know, maybe your, your vitamin D levels are adequate and just fine and we can kind of go from there. But oftentimes people um, are a little bit deficient, right? Also, sodium is another one to consider. Um, by lowering your sodium intake, um, your body can actually hang on to that calcium a lot better. Oh, wow. I never, I didn't know that. That's great. Um, so you mentioned uh, one of the nutrients that could be low would be iodine. Do you have any... Um, recommendations to ensure that you get adequate iodine on a vegan diet? Right. Iodine is one of those things that kind of gets lost in the mix. We know about B12, right? We know about vitamin D um, with plant-based diets, but iodine, right? So iodine intakes on a vegan diet, um, there is a possibility that it may not be sufficient without the inclusion of iodized salt or sea veggies. So dulci or nori or wakame being some examples or some kind of supplement, right? So with iodized salt, of course, comes the concern about increasing your salt intake, right? And if we're trying to decrease that, we know that, oh, you know, tw just that 2,300 milligrams, trying to strive for less than that, that's just a teaspoon, right? Um, so typically, I'll try to stress some of those sea vegetables. And in some cases, a supplement would be appropriate. 
with iodine, it's important to be careful. You know, we need it. It's absolutely necessary, but very, very small amounts. So pay attention to that recommended um, amount, um, which is about, which is 150 um, micrograms per day for adults, 19 years and up, right? We don't want to go uh, far above that. Oh, cool. Okay, thank you. Uh, you just remind, you already answered the question about vitamin D, so I'm going to pivot a little bit and go back to B12, because <laughs> this is something that I always wondered. I know the daily recommended amount is like, I think it's only like 500 milligrams, maybe 250. It's pretty low, but I seem to only find like 5,000 milligrams. So would you recommend like cutting, taking, maybe taking one per week or do I cut the, the tablet or what do you suggest? I know the recommended dietary allowance for B12 is way lower than any amount that you'll see in a supplement, right? Yeah. So in some cases, it might mean if it's a, a, a spray, for example, um, that's something that you could take a few times a week, right? Um, if, if you would feel more comfortable with that. Um, however, um, really what I stress with vitamin B12 is just try and get the lower amount um, if you're comparing a few different ones, right? Okay. I get the lower amount because you're never going to have to worry even with getting the lower amount of what's available on the market with not getting enough from there typically, right? Okay. Um, such high quantities. Mm-hmm. That's good advice. Just look for, get the lowest one. <laughs> um, what are some recommendations to naturally boost energy? You have. Great question. So one of the first things I think of for that is making sure that you're eating consistently throughout the day. So having smaller meals throughout the day or having some snacks regularly throughout the day. If you're skipping meals or going many, many hours without eating, our blood sugar can drop um, and that can lead to lower energy levels. So I typically recommend trying to have a snack or some type of meal every three to four hours or so. And that can help keep our blood sugar a little bit more stable and that can help keep our energy up. The other big thing is thinking about how you balance your plate. So thinking about the different types of components you're putting on your plate. Meredith talked about that a little bit. So thinking about having some protein on your plate, some of those fiber-rich carbohydrates, some healthy fats, and some fruits or vegetables. The carbohydrates, those give us a really quick boost of energy. And then the protein and the fat, that helps keep our blood sugar a little more stable, and that gives us longer-lasting energy. So when we combine those together, we get less of those blood sugar spikes, which leads to more stable energy. So that might look like maybe some tofu for protein and a vegetable stir fry, um, serving that with some brown rice. There we're getting our fats, we're getting our protein, we're getting some carbohydrates, and we're getting some vegetables there. The other thing thinking about with energy is just looking at how much sugar and caffeine you're having in your diet. That's a quick energy boost, but in the long term, it can come t- sometimes zap our energy. So if, if you're getting tired all the time, taking a look at how much of that you're having and gradually decreasing that. And then if you are tired all the time, it might be worth talking with your doctor, checking if there are labs that need looking at, making sure there isn't something else going on. 
I love the examples that you're giving about like the meals that like we can actually pick, you know, picture what we're going to have on our plate. I, I love it. Thank you for those examples. Good. Yeah. It's helpful to kind of take that theoretical and be able to see what that actually looks like. For yes. Yes. Yeah. So one thing that plant food does not have is cholesterol. And I often hear for people say, but you need cholesterol. So what, what's your answer to that? Do vegans and plant-based folk need to, to add cholesterol to their diet? Such a good point. So like you mentioned, yes, cholesterol is only found in animal foods. So sometimes people are worrying about that. We don't need to worry about that on a vegan or a plant-based diet because our body makes cholesterol on its own. It's produced in the liver. So there's no concern about getting it through the diet. Um, Even in people who do eat animal products, about 80% of the cholesterol is produced in our liver. So not a concern there at all. Interesting. Okay. So if someone, (laughs) this is a random question, just made me think of it. But so like if someone had an issue with their liver, then would they need to get cholesterol? Um, there's probably medicine though, right? The doctor would probably prescribe something rather than asking to get it from it. I don't know. That's a random question. I don't know. What do you think, Michelle? I've only had um, one patient that struggled with lower cholesterol and it was just something that the doctor continued to monitor. I believe instead of having labs drawn every year, uh, the patient got the labs drawn every three to six months just to monitor and no symptoms were present. But out of all the patients that I've worked with, only one was on that lower end. And ironically enough, it wasn't even due to plant-based eating. He was eating um, your standard American diet in that sense and was still dealing with low cholesterol, excuse me. And it was just highly monitored by his physician. But Interesting. I can't speak to that other question, but that was a good one, Selena. Well, <laughs> it sounds like it's not something we need to worry about. <laughs> too much. I can check it off my list. So. <laughs> Okay, so So you've already covered that you don't need to, that the whole myth of um, combining amino acids is just that, that's a myth, but is there any, like, are there any amino acids that you should worry about being deficient in or that you'd want to, I guess, pay more attention to make sure you're getting foods that contain those or something like that on a vegan diet? So again, kind of the main takeaway from that is foods that are high in lysine, because that tends to be maybe one of the essential amino acids that you could become not get enough of if you're not getting those legumes, uh, you know, soy products, uh, uh, nuts and seeds, that sort of thing, right? So that's kind of the main thing there with the amino acids. Okay, thank you. I'm going to kind of go out of order here, Steph, because my my question was also answered. Um, Should I worry? This is okay. This is one that I hear, we all hear this all the time. Um, should I worry about eating too much soy? Right. <laughs> so studies uh, may seem to present like conflicting conclusions about soy, right? There's always something coming out to support, and then maybe there might be that one article that uh, shows something different, right? So this is largely due to the variation in how soy is studied. Um, results of recent population studies suggest that Uh, Overall, soy has a beneficial or in some cases, a neutral effect on various health conditions, right? Not, not necessarily a negative effect, right? So it's, it's actually been suggested if we're thinking breast cancer, for example, it's a big one people think of with soy, um, that, you know, so diet, we know dietary factors can account for over 50% 
of uh, breast cancer cases, right? So it, it's interesting that in countries with a historically high intake of soy foods, like um, soybeans and tofu and things like that, especially during childhood, we have actually seen lower rates of breast cancer in adulthood. Soy is a really nutrient-dense source of protein that can be safely consumed regularly um, throughout the week. It's likely to provide a range of health benefits, especially when it's consumed as an alternative to red processed meat, right? So examples are going to be tofu, like I mentioned, soy milk, miso, um, tempeh. Those are the richest sources of um, those isoflavins in the diet. So isoflavins are often what is um, constant, what is focused on um, in that in within soy uh, in terms of uh, breast cancer. That's what often comes up, right? So in studies, actually, those isoflavins have been shown to um, not affect the estrogen levels of women, nor do they impact the testosterone or estrogen levels in men, right? So both isoflavones and the hormone estrogen um, bind to estrogen receptors within the breast and other tissues throughout the body. So binding to these receptors, actually, it initiates a biological response, right? So there are two types of those estrogen uh, receptors in the body. Uh, is this going into too much detail? No. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, estrogen receptor alpha, and then there's estrogen receptor beta, right? So estrogen binds equally to both of those types, alpha and beta. So for consuming, you know, straight estrogen, right? Whereas isoflavins, the com compound really prominent in soy products, um, those prefer estrogen receptor beta. So that means in tissues that primarily have that estrogen receptor alpha, estrogen um, has biological effects, but those isoflavins don't right? Um, and then we also know from, so it's not having an impact in summary, right? And then on the other side, we're having positive impacts in terms of reducing the incidence of certain types of conditions, right? Providing that extra fiber, those beneficial nutrients, a solid source of plant-based protein. So really in conclusion, right? So research has shown us that soy um, can be consumed regularly unless there's a, a soy allergy, right? And it's an excellent source of a lot of different beneficial vitamins, minerals, um, protein, um, and that sort of thing. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. What's the best source for getting those omega fatty acids? Good question. So there are three main different types of omega fats. So there's omega-3s, omega-6s, and omega-9. Most people get plenty of the omega-6 and 9 fats. Those are found in a lot of different nuts, seeds, oils. We don't really need to worry too much about that. The omega-3 fats take a little bit more planning. There's some specific sources for those. And the omega-3s are really important for our health. They're really good for supporting heart health, for our brain health, the immune system, reducing inflammation, lots of good things there. There are a few different types of omega-3 fats. So there's ALA, EPA, and DHA. ALA is a type of omega-3 fat that's found in a few different or several different types of plant-based foods. Some of the best sources are flax seeds or flaxseed oil, chia seeds, hemp seeds, and walnuts. So these can be a great option. Throw them onto your oatmeal, toss them in a smoothie, Maybe put them on a salad or try out a chia seed pudding. 
easy to get those into your diet. ALA, it's considered an essential nutrient. That means that our body can't produce it. So it's important for us to get that from our diet. And in our body, ALA gets converted to the other types of omega-3 fats. It gets converted into EPA and DHA. And these are really important for a lot of those same things, especially for our brain and for our heart health. DHA and EPA, besides being converted, is also found naturally in some certain types of algae. So um, a lot of us hear that fish is a really good source of omega-3 fats, and that's actually because the fish are eating these microalgae. So one option could be to go directly to the source and take that microalgae. So there are some different algae supplements on the market that can help you to meet your omega-3 needs. But I, when trying any new supplement, I always recommend talking with your doctor for seeing if it's a good fit um, and starting on it slowly. Okay, thank you. So we had a, a person ask, uh, this is kind of a personal question for them. Their husband has heart disease and they want to know, do you know anybody personally that was able to reverse heart disease on a plant-based diet? Yes. And first of all, I just want to thank that, that listener for, um, you know, sharing that personal story. I really appreciate it. Right. It's, um, as a dietitian, I, I have provided nutrition counseling and education to individuals that have, uh, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, that includes high LDL cholesterol, that quote unquote bad cholesterol, high triglycerides, um, low HDL cholesterol. So all of these being those risk factors, right? For cardiovascular disease. So I have seen in working with those individuals with dietary interventions, an increase in physical activity, in some cases, medication too, um, that those clients have seen improvements in labs. And that's been really fantastic, right? Everybody's different. So, it, you know, that we can't necessarily make a blanket statement that we're going to see reversal, um, Hopefully, there would be improvements with some of these changes. More fiber has been linked in a lot of studies to uh, decrease in those uh, cholesterol levels. Um, there was a study that was published back in 2014 um, that looked at uh, about 200 patients uh, to further investigate whether eating a whole uh, strict plant-based diet could stop or reverse heart disease. And it had some really interesting findings that found that um, of the 198 patients, about 177 who, who really stuck to that diet, the, the majority of those reported a reduction in symptoms, right, associated with that cardiovascular disease. And 22% actually had disease reversal that was, that was confirmed by test results, right? So um, that study didn't just rule out animal products. Um, it also uh, cut out added oils, processed foods, right? Because we know vegan doesn't necessarily mean whole foods, right? It, it took out processed sugar, refined carbohydrates, excess salt. So, so there were some other factors in there as well. And then physical activity was encouraged too. We can't deny the impact of physical activity when paired with those dietary uh, changes. But um, so that was a really... Uh, uh, positive finding from from that study. Absolutely, thank you. Um, we have a, another question here from someone who asked. Um, I tried a ve- said I tried a vegan diet and felt unhealthy. What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. There could be 
a few different reasons. It's different for everybody. One common thing that could be an issue would be not getting enough B12. Say you're not taking a B12 supplement. Um, B12 is only found in animal foods. So if you're not taking a supplement, it's very possible that over time your B12 levels drop. You might start feeling symptoms like fatigue or headaches, some depression, maybe difficulty concentrating, those sorts of symptoms. So if you've been on a vegan diet for a while, you're not taking a supplement for B12, then it might be worth checking your labs, making sure that those levels aren't low, and then maybe taking a supplement for that. Another common issue I've heard people starting out on a whole food vegan diet is that they start having some digestive issues. And that might be because they increase fiber too quickly. Um, a whole food vegan diet tends to be naturally high in fiber. Lots of beans and legumes and whole grains, fruits and vegetables. That is a very, very good thing for our health. Fiber is great for digestion, for our heart, for so many different things. But if we quickly increase fiber, that can lead to a lot of not so fun digestive symptoms. So if you're just starting out on a plant-based diet and you aren't used to eating a lot of beans or a lot of lentils and you suddenly add a lot to your diet, you might have some gas or bloating or cramping. Not so fun. So the best thing to do, I recommend, is just to gradually increase how much fiber you eat. Your digestive system can get used to that. So start by adding just a small amount of beans or legumes into your diet, and then over time, gradually increase the quantity. If you're still having issues, you could also try soaking beans in water before you cook them. That can remove some of the compounds that are more likely to cause some of those digestive issues and makes them a little bit more easily digestible. And then also making sure you're staying hydrated. The higher amount of fiber, with the higher amount of fiber, it's important to drink enough water to help that move through your digestive system. Another issue when starting on a vegan diet could be if you transition and are eating more of the processed vegan foods and aren't eating a lot of the whole foods. So you aren't eating a lot of the beans, legumes, tofu, whole grains, lots of fruits and vegetables. If you're relying more on packaged and processed vegan alternatives, you might not be getting all of the nutrients you need in your diet. And you might just not feel your best. Thank you. And Steph, I'm going to combine these questions, these next two. I'm going to take yours and mine because they kind of go together. Um, sure. So what's the best way to kick a cheese habit? We all, we all know <laughs> that's a real, real thing. <laughs> um, and then kind of along with that, what's, um, how long does it take for taste buds to change? So let's say I'm going to kick this cheese habit. How long does it take how, in your experience? Right. So with cheese, I know cheese is delicious. I, I have to admit that um, when I decided to go, go plant-based, um, I went to the cheese factory in my hometown and went through the sample line a couple of times um, <laughs> just to kind of say a nice farewell to cheese. And it was, it was good closure, right? And I feel great now. I don't necessarily, I don't crave it. I don't need it because there are so many other options out there. So one that I really like to talk about is a, is a cheese like sauce. So a key ingredient for plant-based diet is nutritional yeast, lovingly referred to as nooch. 
right? And so it, it imparts a nice, cheesy kind of umami flavor uh, into whatever you add it to. So in my, in my blender, so it could be a, a Vitamix, it could be a Ninja, something high powered, right? You're going to toss the potatoes that you've cooked, some carrots you've cooked, some kind of liquid. It could be water, it could be an unsweetened plant-based milk, your nutritional yeast, some lemon juice, some salt, and some seasonings like garlic and onion, maybe some smoked paprika. And you just blend it all up. Um, you can heat it up on the stove and you can put it on your vegetables. You could put it on your nachos. You could put it on all kinds of things. And um, it's a game changer um, for sure. So that can be one strategy. And then you're getting some fiber, right? Because you blended all those cashews and the and the potatoes and the carrots all up and then you're eating that whole food right so and you're getting lots of beneficial nutrients from it as well so that's one strategy Meredith that sounds so oh. delicious <laughs> I'm so scared <laughs> that listening to that I have a similar recipe that also uses cashews and nutritional yeast this one's more along the lines of a parmesan um, you can kind of crumble it sprinkle on on different foods it's really simple. It just has cashews, also the nutritional yeast, some garlic powder and some salt. You just blend that up or put it in a food processor. It makes kind of a crumble. Put that on vegetables, put that on pasta, whatever. It's delicious and really easy. Um, if you're missing also that kind of creaminess of cheese, but not necessarily specifically cheese, there's a lot of other alternatives there. Putting some avocado on things like on a sandwich gives some of that same creaminess or hummus or nut butters, lots of other options there. Not exactly the same as cheese, but can give some of those same properties. I like that because sometimes it's not necessarily the the food, like that ingredient that you're missing. Um, it's the texture or it's the saltiness or the sweetness or, or whatever it is. So looking to see, to, to, to satisfy that craving first, that could, that could work. That could work. Okay, and they kind of touched on this. Stephanie, want to ask this last question about processed food? Oh, I wanted to answer your. Oh, sorry to interrupt your other question about. Oh, food. yes, sorry about that. Yes. Um. So, I mean, that can vary from person to person. Typically, like in my own experience, and from people I know, from patients I've worked with, it can take a, a few weeks for that to happen. So often, when people start to reduce their intake of things like added sugar, added sodium and um, fat um, and then start to include more of those whole plant-based foods, taste will just, uh, you know, adjust over time, right? So actually studies have shown that with the passage of time, which again can vary from person to person, but that um, individuals who are provided with a lower sodium option or, you know, more plant-based foods, for example, um, that aren't salted, uh, ultimately will end up having a decreased preference for salty foods um, in the long term, right? So there's actually a study I was looking at um, where over the course of 12 months, um, individuals uh, followed a low sodium diet and they and researchers observed a progressive uh, steady decline in the preferred amount of salt that these individuals would add to their soup, right? Because they felt that the same that less salt compared to earlier on gave them the same amount of satisfaction uh, for that salty, you know, craving, you could call it right. Um, because uh, their taste preferences had changed. Really fascinating stuff. It is fascinating. I know with myself, like I go two or three days with just, you know, sticking to fruits, vegetables and grains, like it really only takes for me, I'm not, you know, it really only takes a few days. Yeah, right, right. Good. Okay. 
Um, so I, like Selena said, you've touched on this a little bit, but what are your thoughts overall about uh, those processed vegan products? Yeah, Steph. Um, so those processed vegan products, there are so many, too many to name, but we know there are burr patties, cheese substitutes, uh, mayonnaise substitutes, butter substitutes. Um, there are um, tuna substitutes now, crab cake. I mean, you could just go on and on, which is wonderful in terms of um, something fun and new novel to try um, for us to have options when we go out to eat. Um, uh, and these are great transition foods, especially for those who are accustomed to having more meat and dairy in their diet. It might just make it a bit more um, easier to chew, so to speak, to um, have these as a stepping stone, right? But again, like as Carly was mentioning, I'm always thinking, well, nutrient density, if, we're, if we have a, uh, a patty that is highly processed and doesn't contain whole forms of like a legume of some kind, for example, then we're really missing out on some opportunities for some fiber, um, some B vitamins, you know, pro, you know, all kinds of things, right? Um, if you can instead have a black bean patty that's made with quinoa and, and veggies all packed together. So processed foods typically contain more additives, they're higher in salt and sugar and fat, and they have fewer of those beneficial nutrients when we compare them to the whole foods, right? So if you're looking to optimize health and wellness, a vegan diet that's centered around cookies and cakes and soda, uh, coconut oil, palm oil, isn't necessarily going to support you in that journey, right? So I think, you know, small amounts, right? And prioritizing those whole plant-based foods for sure. That was such a beautiful answer, Meredith. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I'm vegan for the animals, 100%. And, but I also have, since in my... Since I've been on this journey, I've, I've learned that I feel healthier when I when I eat whole food, plant based foods. Right. That's you know, that's how I feel. But I never, ever, ever want anybody to feel shamed about what they eat as far as, you know, eating vegan products. And I think that the way that you answered that was is beautiful. It's a great there's those processed foods that are there for the transition. Maybe it's a treat. Maybe, maybe you eat them all the time. That's okay. But if you listen to your body, right? Listen to your body and see how you feel. And if it's something that you may need to cut back, maybe that's what we can do. And you can help. Sensibly Sprout can help with that. We are happy to help. Yes. So that's a great transition. Um, so tell us, tell us, tell our listeners, what services do you offer and when, when, Yes, tell us more about that. <laughs> so I'll jump back in now. I just want to say, you know, thank you so much to Carly and Meredith. I had such a blast doing this, you know, the, what was it, two years ago at this point, Luna? Yes, exactly two years ago. So yeah, awesome yeah. getting to see other dietitians that have that same passion just kind of like shining through. So I want to thank you guys so much for being so excited to be a part of this. And when it comes to our services, Selena, you know, one of the biggest questions that we get asked is, do we only work with vegans? Do we only have plant-based dietitians? And no, we work with anyone, no matter where they are on their wellness journey. We might be a little bit more biased thinking, you know, yes, more plant on the plate is a good thing for the majority of us. But we're really, our focus here is meeting the patient where they're at. So when it comes to services that we offer, we really work with individuals in that one-on-one -on -one kind of approach that are looking for help or guidance with any issue that they're dealing with, with chronic disease, for example, if they're looking for support with weight management and not just weight loss, but sometimes weight gain, uh, if, we're if we're looking for support. 
with some hormonal issues. Um, perhaps we're dealing with some thyroid issues. Perhaps we're dealing with PCOS. Um, there are a variety of different conditions that our dietitians have passions for and specialties in to help aid our community and their patients through, you know, their wellness journey. So if you have any questions about, um, you know, what we can help you with or what it is that, you know, we can provide you, um, you can either give us, yeah, I was looking for my computer and I'm like, this isn't mine. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have any questions about, you know, any of the conditions that we work with or that we treat, we have a variety of different ways that you can contact us, Selena. Okay. For individuals that might not be uh, too excited to jump on a phone call, you know, they more want to check out the website. We do have a form on our website that you can kind of fill out with what you're looking for help with, uh, your insurance information. If you want to use insurance, which, by the way, in the state of Washington, there's amazing health benefits for working with a dietitian. And about 95% of our patients have no out-of-pocket cost to working with us. So if you're interested, you can fill out this online form and then our front desk will receive it. And from there and, you know, what you're looking for help with match you with a dietitian that has that specialty that you're looking for support with. You can also give us a phone call. Our number is 360-230-8202. Or you can text us at that number as well. We finally joined. (laughs) We finally joined the new sprouted. So go ahead and feel free if you're, you know, at work and you can't jump on the phone, but you're feeling inspired, you're feeling motivated and you're feeling ready. Pick up that phone, take that first step towards action and send us a text and we can get the conversation going like that. But however we can support our community, your listeners, especially getting more plants on the plate, we'd love to be able to help and to join on that wellness journey. So keep us in mind here at Sensibly Sprouted. Nutrition is our passion. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll add the links to your website. We'll put your phone number. We'll put it in the show notes. And then, of course, we'll do a post and about this particular episode, and we'll give them all the information that they need. So get ready for your phone to light up. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Thank you, Selena. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, I am just every time, Michelle, I'm always impressed by you. And now Meredith and Carly, wow, I've just, I've been blown away with, with your answers and you're just so kind and I can, I know that our listeners are going to feel very welcomed and, and really t- taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Anything else you want to add before we go? No, I, I thank everyone for taking the time to listen. And, you know, like we said, if you have any questions, you need resources, we're here to help. So don't hesitate to reach out. We'd love to support you. Yeah, it really, I feel that. I can tell that you care. It's, yeah, I can tell. So thank you. Of course. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the Bellingham Veg Fest show. If there are topics that you'd love to hear more about, please reach out. You can find us at bellinghamvegfest.org and be sure to follow Bellingham Veg Fest on Instagram and Facebook.